tonight on Arena. Director Mark Forster on his new movie, A Man Called Otto, and Notifications Off, a knitted tapestry featuring places, people and objects that bring happiness. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. An immovable object meets an unstoppable force in A Man Called Otto, which stars Tom Hanks and opens this weekend in cinemas. The film is based on the international bestseller A Man Called Ove by Frederick Backman, which was made into a successful film in his homeland of Sweden. In this latest adaptation, the story is about Otto, a man so broken by the death of his wife that he no longer sees purpose in his life. But all his determined misery is interrupted by the arrival of new neighbours neighbours, chiefly Marisol who pushes him to see beyond his limited circumstances. This feel good film was produced by Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson and directed by the Swiss filmmaker and Bond veteran Mark Foster whose films like Monster's Ball, The Kite Runner and Quantum of Solace he has, has are part of his repertoire. Recently I spoke to Mark about the film but before that we hear that. Let's listen to a clip from a man called Otto. Here is Mariana Trevino as the newly arrived Marisol knocking on Otto's door for the very first time. Hi. So we wanted to properly introduce ourselves because, you know, we're going to be neighbours and everything. So, yeah. Okay. So. Okay. okay. Bye. Are you always this unfriendly? I'm not unfriendly. Okay, you're not. No, 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 no. You're not unfriendly. Every word you say is like a warm cuddle. I, I first read the book and fell in love with the book and, and, and loved it. And I, I, I thought, you know, it was, was like I cried and I laughed. And then I, I, I saw that there was a Swedish, uh, there was a film was, was made out of that book. So I watched a Swedish movie by Hannes Holm, which I also truly enjoyed. And uh, and then ultimately, you know, I felt though that you know it's interesting when you read the book. It's it's very, it's almost very Shakespearean. These characters that you can literally, like Hamlet, you can play do this in any kind of country with with anyone because I feel like we all know an auto and it translates into any kind of culture. So I, I believe that we actually could do more uh, <laughs> more versions of this book in movies oh. in different cultures. When you say we all know, we all know an Otto. We probably do, and we can't mention any of their names to anybody. <laughs> but uh, how how would you describe him? Because he's a very interesting character. You know, I, I believe a lot of people who get grumpy and angry often it comes. You have to look at why are they that way, and it often comes from grief and sadness, and and they become sort of disillusioned with the world and. And, and it, there comes the, the anger and bitterness comes out, comes out of that. And, and sort of that's, I think, what happened, obviously, with Otto. And it's the loneliness on top of it. And, and, and I don't want to spoil the movie for everyone, mm. but, but uh, the, this loneliness that doesn't give him, doesn't give him any reasons to, to live. And ultimately, he finds, again, reasons to live. And that, that comes through community. And I think that's what I love about the book and uh, the film as well. It's, it's life-affirming. It brings a community together. And I think it's really so important for us 
to have a healthy social structure and people who care and and we feel like we play a role in society and we can contribute to society. Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, effectively the the film is set. Yeah, we do. There are flashbacks, and I will come to those in a minute. But to a large extent, the film is set in what is a little cul-de-sac, a little closed-off road where only the people who live on that road would be in there. So it really is. Um, it's a sense of community. Is there a claustrophobia in that as well as a, a positive side to it? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the, the, I think anybody who lives in a in a sort of cul-de-sac community, there's a little bit of a claustrophobia in it because you 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 have to work out to live with one another, and everybody has their little quirks. And I think instead of those little 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 quirks we all have. To, that they those divide uh, divide one another that bring us together and I think that's you know for instance obviously you know Otto has the na- new neighbors who move in mm. who are, who you know trying to bridge uh, and open him up through bringing food over to him and 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 Marisol Mariana Trevino who is uh, you know really I, I think a discovery and a fantastic actress uh, is is really her persistency. Of, of, of trying to connect with the neighbor and, and try, is, is, is remarkable. And I'm, I'm like, you know, like looking at, looking at me, if I would have a neighbor who, you know, who doesn't want to communicate, I probably would retreat. I wouldn't yeah. like keep on pushing, pushing that envelope. Yeah, yeah, she does. Her character really, you know, works hard to to make that connection because you could give up on him. And even if you didn't give up on him because he's downright rude a lot of the time to people, mm-hmm. you, I mean, he's on about your permit should be on that part of your car, not on this part. Why are you putting the can into that particular rubbish bin? It should be in the other rubbish bin. And yes, all of these things are important. But, you know, a little bit of live and let live is is important, too. If if you didn't have somebody like Tom Hanks playing grumpy old Otto, you could be in trouble. Uh, Very much so. I mean, that's, you know, what I look, I think Tom is known as the nicest man in Hollywood, but he's also, it is really true. He's not just kind and lovely. I think he's one of the greatest actors of all time. And, and having him, you know, who's, who's has ultimately is so beloved playing someone grumpy helps obviously because you, you don't, you, you don't disconnect. You still want to keep watching him because of also because of his humor. I mean, you know, he comes obviously from comedies in the eighties was big and splash and all all these movies, but then uh, and then started becoming a very dramatic actor. And he uses both skills: the mm. drama and the comedy, sort of the light and the dark. And that's the silver lining of the movie, which is hard to achieve. And you know, to to go back and forth between the two. I thought for a minute there you were going to say not only is he the nicest man in Hollywood, he's also the, also the grumpiest man in Hollywood. <laughs> so the grumpy is pure acting, is it? Yes, grumpy is pure acting. You know, I worked with him now. So we've developed this over the last four years, this script, and uh, until we started shooting, and it I seen him on set, and he's always respectful and kind and prepared, and it's like a dream to work with. Now, I said that to a large extent, most of the action of the film takes place in that local cul-de-sac where Otto, the Tom Hanks character and all of his neighbours, the new neighbours that moved in and the old neighbours that have been there for years, they're all in this in this cul-de-sac together. But then we have these flashback sequences to the young Otto. And who is playing the young Otto? 
<laughs> the young author is being played by Truman Hanks, who is not an actor who actually wants to be a you know a DOP director of photography. And uh, you know both Rita and Tom said, "Oh, we're not sure if he he wants to do it, but you know you can have coffee with him." And and the, the reason I I thought he would be great because he looks a little bit like Tom when he was doing Big and Splash and the yeah. movies in the eighties. And so I met him, and he was so you know, charming and lovely. And, and I felt like you only have to be yourself basically be, and, and just, and just trust me with this. And, and, you know, I try to provide for all my actors that they feel welcome and protected and warm. And, you know, we have opposite Truman Hanks is Sonia, Rachel Keller, who plays oh. the young, young, young wife. And, and she's, she's wonderful and very generous too. So the two of them just had a lovely connection and, and synergy. So, so it, 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 it worked. So I don't know if he ever wants to work, act again, young, 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 young Truman, but maybe who knows? Yeah, but, but it is extraordinary that he doesn't want to act. He has two brothers who were uh, two siblings who, who act. Um, and they, they would be possibly, I think you've said a little bit too old for this for this particular version of the young Otto, um, given where Tom Hanks is is at in his age as, as the older Otto. But it, 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 not wanting to act and to have the ease he has on camera. It, do you think did he did he come in behind the camera as well and start to to do things from that side? Does he hold that level of skill behind the camera that he displays on the camera? Uh I mean, he, he, he does, he's, he's truly like, he, he just has this, uh, his heart in the right place. And you know, the, the thing is with actors in general, if they're not actors, and I worked with several people who are non-actors, mm. is, is as long, you, you know, you, they, they, you know, ultimately feel comfortable and you cast them for what you envision them to do and, and, uh, and they trust you, you can really ultimately can get very truthful and honest performance out, out of them, especially if they're not pretending or don't want to pretend. And, and, and Truman, there's something about him when in front of camera that he feels very comfortable and calm. And, and as long as he's trying just to, to be versus trying to be what he's not, then, then you're in good shape. I guess that, that in some ways is, is the secret of good acting, isn't it? You know, that... Um, Sometimes the non-actors, and I wonder how you handle this situation, they feel, in fact, I've got to really act. I've got to really pretend. I've got to be really angry here. Or I've, you know, and, or I've got to be really sad here. And, and they do this kind of signaled version of what happy is or what, what sad is. Mm. Um, how difficult is it actually to get people to say, stop acting, just, just be there? I, I think, you know, it's, as a director, it's a lot of in casting. You really <clears throat> have to look at those signs and, and, and see what, you know, what, can, what do certain actors bring to the role mm-hmm. and, and how, how, how truthful they are. And then, you know, there are some actors that are technically so skilled because, uh, you know, that the theater, musical theater, film, everything. And they're just like, like Tom Hanks, who was just brilliant but you know he's naturally instinctually great he has a fantastic emotional intelligence he's brilliant in so many ways and he has an incredible skill set there's so much going on that it's just extraordinary that he can read the phone book and you still love watching him and and then i I think lesser experienced actors which you use for for certain things you just have to really look out uh, how you use them and and how you can use them to make them as natural uh, as natural as possible 
Um, you, you yourself have quite a skills base, let's be honest as, to, uh, honest as well. I'll spare you your modesty by not asking you to explain that skill base to us. But, you know, if we think of Quantum of, of Solace, big blockbuster or, or more thoughtful finding Neverland, where does this film for you, A Man Called Otto, where does it fit in on that spectrum of your own work? You, you know, I, I, I love to examine the human condition. And all my films are usually about the human condition and, and, and I have, if they're on a big action scale or on a small character-based movies. And, and they ultimately all have to have hope, you know. Even the darker movies, like let's go at the beginning of my career, like Monsters Ball, at the end, you know, there's the ending where Halle Berry suddenly has to decide if she's going to kill Billy Bob or not. And she decides not to and forgive him and breaks the circle of violence. And that's sort of like always the, the, the hopefulness because I always feel like my, my glass is half, you know, glass has half full or half empty. And I always see myself as half full and being positive. But it's, it's at the end... It's, it's really about, uh, you know, hope. But I think Otto falls into, you know, the, the, the kind of movies which I, I feel are, you know, there's a sort of a, a whimsy going on. And, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also heartbreaking and emotional. Sort of a little bit like Finding Neverland, Kite Runner, Stranger in Fiction, those movies. Uh, finally, you know, you said that you laughed and cried while reading the book and I presume while watching the, the, the Swedish version of the movie as well. Um, I found myself watching the film doing precisely that, laughing and crying quite, quite a lot. Um, what is that? What is the, does the atmosphere like on set regarding those emotions? Can you let the laughter slip onto the set? Can you let the sadness slip onto the set? Or in fact, do you just have to concentrate on what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, like if you watch as as you're working with someone like Tom and Mariana, and you watch them, you do start laughing uh, a lot because, especially in the comedic parts, and it, it's like, and it's a joy to see them work and and work with them and collaborate. Uh, I think, you know, for for the for the sadder parts, I don't catch I don't catch myself crying while while on set. Uh, it, I do get emotional then when I watch the movie. As I get, you know tear up and said, and if once I get that feeling that I'm about to tear up, I say, okay, that's where we need to go. <laughs> so directors don't cry. Is that it? I, I, I think, I think, you know, because I'm Swiss, uh, we, we have, have, have a very like ultimately uh, a very repressed emotional life. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I, I'll wrap up now and let you go off and have a little cry with nobody watching. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us today, Mark. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jean. No. No, 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 stop. Stop, 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 stop. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. I'm sorry. How you can make it this far through life without knowing how to back up a trailer. My God, a dog with one front pawn cataracts could have done better than that. And an automatic, of course. What the hell is that? Uh, that's, that's the radar. The, the trailer is too close to the side of the car. That's why it's still beeping with the thing. Okay. Hello. Hello. What's your name? Otto. Otto? Otto. O-T-T-O. I'm Abby. O-T-T-O. <laughs>
Alessandra Perez there as Abby introducing herself to Tom Hanks as O-T-T-O Otto as he grimly commandeers her parents' car and that's in a scene from A Man Called Otto directed by the non-crying Mark Forster who was speaking to us just before that. The film opens in cinemas on Friday. We will be reviewing it on tomorrow night's arena. Niall McCabe is an Irish singer-songwriter hailing from Clare Island, County Mayo. Fans of Irish trad and fusion will recognise his voice from the band Bioga. But Niall has toured uh, Ireland, Europe and the USA supporting the likes of Ed Sheeran and Foy Vance. A month from now, February the 3rd, Niall McCabe will release his forthcoming album. It's called Rituals, but this week he releases the single from that album, which is simply called The Ritual. Now that all the roads are empty And all the maids have been and gone All the work we had is over Come sit with me in the evening sun In its latest annual report published in November, the charity The Samaritans underlined the impact that the pandemic had on mental health with one in five callers worried about COVID and a third feeling isolated and lonely. If you add further worries such as the rising cost of living, the war in Ukraine, the future of the planet, it is no, the planet rather, it is no surprise that many of us struggle with our mental health. In fact, recent research from Maynooth University, the National College of Ireland and Trinity College Dublin found that as high as 42% of Irish adults are likely to be experiencing a mental health disorder at any point in time. First Fortnight is a charity that challenges mental health prejudice through arts and cultural action. They have commissioned work by Electronic Sheep, a duo made up of visual artists Helen Delaney, who is here with me in studio, and longtime friend and collaborator Brenda Ahern. The result is a knitted tapestry called Notifications of which depicts places, people and objects that bring happiness. Delighted that Helen is with me in studio this evening, as well as one of the 20 people who were asked to contribute to two uh, notifications off. Um, the, 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 other, the one of the 20 who's with me this evening is First Fortnight CEO Maria Fleming. Delighted to have you here too as well, Maria. When I give those statistics, there's no, you don't have to give us any reason why First Fortnight is such an important uh, festival at the beginning of every year, because this is the time of year when things do begin to get on top of people in many think, ways often. I think completely yeah. it's the the darkness for one thing the physical darkness and short days are mm. difficult for people but um, there's such pressure around the build up to Christmas and New Year there's pressure to be happy and have that hallmark Hollywood yeah, yeah. experience and that's just not the case for the majority of people so the uh, we like to come along in January and be a bit of an oasis in the darkness and bring some cultural activity. And this year, I was even getting tired listening to the list you read about all that all that's <laughs> yes. faced us the last while. So this year, more than ever, we've just said we need some hope yeah. and we need some celebration and we need to get together and sit in an audience together and celebrate fabulous artists like the wonderful one sitting beside me here and uh, have some time to be hopeful and look at what is positive, what has been mm. achieved. And while there is like really frightening statistics around mental health, there's definitely been huge 
huge advancement in breaking down the stigma. People can talk about it. Yeah. People can ask for help and the help is there and people can share with each other what they're going through. So we want to open the conversation, uh, get rid of some of the fear and spread some hope and a bit of love and compassion. Uh, Helen, I suppose if I didn't smile uh, at some point during this uh, uh, interview, once I say electronic sheep, <laughs> well, I find myself having to smile because it's such a wonderful title that you, yourself and, and uh, your, your partner, uh, Brenda, have chosen for, for your duo. Explain what is, is there a philosophy behind the, um, yeah, the well, your, your yeah, practice? It makes, makes perfect sense, really. Uh, we are a knitwear label and our background is... Uh, graphics and fashion and the name originally comes from um, Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep so it's got a cult cult reference but also it's got the digital we do digital knit basically so there's logic but also humour is big in our work and we like to kind of we bring that into everything we do the humour side as well as addressing serious issues so. Right. So, and and I suppose that's precisely what the, what First Fortnight is all about. Yeah. It's about approaching these very serious topics, but hopefully doing it in a way that has a lightness of touch. Marie, I suppose that that is yeah. quite definitely part of the and philosophy. As soon as we we all met, um, I'm a big fan of the scarves that Electronic Sheep make. I'm proud owner mm. of multiple ones, and uh, when we met, I went along to a retrospective exhibition of of their scarves and started talking to Brenda and Helen about first fortnight and about was it possible to do a collaboration and we really connected on that sense of humour sense of fun celebration mm. while also uh, an element of advocacy campaigning activism so it was a perfect combination So yourself and yourself and Brenda then Helen sat down and started talking about right we're going to do was it was a tapestry a, a pretty immediate idea? Yeah well what, as um, Maria was saying when we first met we were at NCAD Gallery where we have done our first mm. tapestry of this scale which is like three metres by just over one metre so it's quite a big piece of work yeah. for us and um, very detailed so uh, when Maria saw this she was, it's a community art piece and it was an obvious like choice that that would be the next thing we would do with them and so as soon as they walked out the door of NCA Dick Gallery we were like Brandon already got our notebooks set up <laughs> that's how we work together yeah. we've been you know friends and um, worked together for so long we start talking about it immediately before the commission was official yeah. so before yeah, that, asked, yeah basically before you were asked uh, to talk about we were going to do it anyway <laughs> and we all we all kind of clicked in in, yeah. in what we thought was going to work and also I think that that groundwork of the last one which was also a community art piece um, which is about London Irish but a uh, different story but we used because it took two years to make and it was during the pandemic when we made it yeah. um, we used it as a sort of guide to what this would look like and also that they would also sit as a pair so the other one's called the Kilburn Tapestries because it was about Irish and London and this one's called Notifications Off which is about the conversation about mental health awareness. I also did the notifications <coughs> off, um, which is something I love doing on my phone, I have to say. <laughs> and certainly over the, you know, the holiday period and yeah. weekends and stuff like that, it's important that we put set our notifications off. Yeah. I, I guess there was, there, that's a direct reference to uh, social media. Yeah, it and is. To, it's a double reference, really. Yeah. I mean, the way we work, we do, like I suppose it's learning 
layers and layers and layers of, of ideas and hidden meanings sometimes. Mm. And then there's obvious meanings that we all connect to. And then there's ones we tell you about later. Um, so the, yes, definitely the notifications office about the sort of invasion of technology and all in our lives that affects everybody. And I can't think of anyone I know that isn't affected by it in some yeah. way. And then there's the notifications off about the bigger picture, about like the news, the world, everything that we're all sort of panicking about. And then our own heads, that's another mm. level of how do you switch off your, your own brain yeah, sometimes? How do, you, how do you get the monkey how off you your shoulder? The, how do you give yourself some space to just stop? Yeah. And it's very hard to get your own head quiet. And I, I think everybody I, you know, mm. we, we feel that everyone's on different levels and people have more serious issues or problems. But at the same point, we've all got thoughts in our, our heads. Um, the, the 20 contributors then, was that a collaboration, Maria? Did you sit down with Brenda and Helen or did they come say, we, 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 we want to commission you? We've got 20 people we've already been thinking about. How did that come about? It, that is uh, coming from Brenda and Helen. Like I said, we met at the exhibition. They started thinking about it. We approached the Arts Council, applied for the commission grant and then went back to them. And by the time we went back to them, they had a really well thought out <laughs> idea, not just that they would have 20 people, but that I would be one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was fantastic. I'm so honoured and delighted to be part of it. Like I say, I totally went to the exhibition to fangirl them. I'm their biggest fan. So to be part of a work of art created by Electronic Sheep in the yeah. festival that I'm running is a dream. Yeah. <laughs> and so how did you go about choosing those 20 people? Apart from, well, we better we better have Maria there. She's <laughs> she, she's going to pay the, the money for the next little bit of time. No, no she, well, it, that wasn't the thought behind it. I don't it. think that's the reason uh, you have her there. Yeah, it was, um, well, we had a wish list. Um, we knew we wanted musicians and artists on it. Mm. We had, we had like lots of people on it and then Brenda came to London to kind of, kind of, sort of, sort of finalise it because we were going a bit in a circle. We had yeah. a lot of people at one point, but we did get most of the people we wanted, and we put all these post-its in the windows of all the names <laughs> of everybody. Like and there was lots of like lots of people, musicians that you'd know, but I won't say now. But we we were lucky enough that um, Gavin Friday agreed, and we had uh, Ashley B. And Roisin Murphy. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is quite a list, but those those three certainly are yeah, three of the many that jump of, out. Yeah. But what what did you what did you go to those artists and musicians and different people from different sectors of of society? What did you go to them with? What did you what were you looking for from them? Because the tapestry itself, we're, we're talking about roughly about nine foot, three meters mm -hmm. long. Uh, and, and one metre in, in depth, I suppose, about a metre high. So did you say, you've got a little panel, what will you give me? What did you ask them for? Well, we'd already got connections with all of the people that's on it. So um, we were already collaborating with Gavin and Ashley were our work mm. in her series. So we've already had a conversation with them. Well, so give, me, give me the specifics. So say Gavin, what did Gavin, what did Gavin well, come up just, with? What did well, you, we what had, did a, you we had a, a, a certain question for each person because we knew time was precious and we didn't want them to get bored before we even mm. got to them to commit with it. So we said, uh, would you be on it? And uh, the question is, what's an object that makes you happy, when you, particularly when you're sad? And that was the question mm. that we gave everybody and Gavin was like, oh, Stan and Ralph, the dogs, you know, and, you know, and he, you can see he's, you know, in his profile and stuff that he's always got the two with them. And they, they're there in the foreground, the yes. two of them, and they're gorgeous little things. But, um, yeah, so they, that was, that was Gavin. And then um, Ashleen B is, as you know, really funny. Yeah. But her series also was like, 
you know, really appropriate because her series This Way Up was about mental health and a girl in in Mm. London struggling with mental health uh, illness. And so she, of course, told a really funny story about somebody um, giving her potato waffles or something like that uh, <laughs> during the pandemic and I said you know we're all coming out of the pandemic so there are we go, you know even yeah. though we don't want to talk about it it is really what happened to everybody so her story is really funny it was just that 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 helped her during a moment of crisis and um so do we get you, do we get potato waffles on the on the page <laughs> as part of the top yes tree? we'll have them at the launch yeah <laughs> <laughs> no um so yeah there was just different things Roshan Murphy was uh, her speakers and actually one of the reasons we asked uh, Roshan apart from admiring her work and everything was that during pandemic as well mm. she's on Instagram like dancing crazily around the front room like in a really a, a really positive way yes and just um she cheered us up anyway. So I'm going, to listen, going to listen to a piece of the uh, a song here. Um, the song is called This Is Pete, a song by Dinah Brand. Maybe you'd, you'd tell me a little bit about the song and how that finds its way onto the tapestry, what way it manifests itself on the on the piece of work. Um, well, we wanted a, a typographic panel. It's sort of part of our signature style and we like using language in our work. So uh, we knew we wanted to work with a musician for this piece and... Uh, one of the people that we knew, uh, which is Dylan Phillips, is like a long-term sort of uh, band person from Dublin, which mm. I would say from since the 90s, and he's been in various bands. And his so- we just love his songwriting. So apart from his voice and the music that goes with it, you could just look at the words themselves and they're just really great. So the, the words are kind of at the, the they're written almost like as if they're the, 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 the spines of books they're, yeah. they're like a, a, a row of yeah. books so maybe give me just a little taste well, of the lyrics before we listen to well, the song. It's, well it starts with meekness in the guts born slayed and if I don't believe in myself it's all because my name is Pete. Let's have a listen to the song and see how that see how that manifests itself in music. section there from the song This is Pete from the band Dinah Brand uh, and written by the Dublin musician Dylan Phillips and it is part of the notifications off tapestry that we're talking about uh, or very much part of First Fortnight artist Helen Delaney and First Fortnight CEO Maria Fleming with me in studio this evening. Um, uh, Maria, um, Helen had mentioned how, or you had mentioned, I don't know which of you told me that you were you were part of who the, the, the group of people who was asked. So yes. what story or how did you, what story did you want to tell of yourself on uh, the tapestry? Well, it was a bit of a no brainer. Um, so the object, the question uh, like they ask is what object makes you happy hmm. when you're sad? And I said my electronic sheep scarf because <laughs> uh, I'm such a sycophant. <laughs> but um, actually I had shared with Brenda and Helen that uh, I had a breast cancer diagnosis in 2019 
And while I was going through chemo, I used to bring my scarf with me when I you can get cold sometimes as yeah. you're going through chemotherapy. And I would bring my electronic sheep scarf with me and wrap that around me for warmth. And the scarf is something that I've always loved. And it had also become something that I had started to take on airplanes with me. In other words, sometimes the air conditioning can be really strong. So even going to a sun holiday, I would have my electronic sheep scarf with me. So sitting in the chemo chair, I would have memories of holidays or places the scarf had been with me. And then um, because of where my treatment landed, so the then Taoiseach Leo Vradker stood up and announced our first lockdown and I started four weeks of radiotherapy the next day. So as everybody else was staying home, I was travelling to a hospital during a pandemic every day for four weeks. And on the first day, um, I went into the hospital and I was sitting in a corridor on my own. It was really eerie. Haven't been through chemotherapy mm. in a busy hospital, then to walk into a hospital that was tumbleweed in the corridors. And I had my scarf on and I took a selfie of myself and put up a tweet saying, you know, starting radiotherapy during a pandemic is scary as, and I used an expletive. Um, and like normally my tweets are liked by the five people who follow me, <laughs> like, but this went to, I can't remember yeah. how many thousand. Wow. Uh, it, it really took off and I was sharing that story with Brenda and Helen as well. I'm guessing that that scarf though now must have it must be such a potent piece of it's it's more than a piece of clothing now for sure. Well it was always more than a piece (laughs) of clothing because I always considered it a work of art as Mm. well but uh, it's funny like it, I still love it and I don't put it on and think of the mm. bad times at all or think anything negative. It still has hugely positive connotations uh, for me. So that that's um, my uh, scarf. It's the one that has the Viking boat on it and the little boat from my scarf is on the tapestry. All right. So that that's that's and, and, and that must give you great joy when you see that on it, the tapestry. Oh, it does itself. completely. Yeah. I saw I only saw the live real tapestry today for the first time. And I got emotional. I was going to yeah, say, I bet it was an yeah, emotional moment was, for. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, I can. I would be very surprised if, if it weren't. However. This uh, does this tapestry uh, does this tapestry it does of course have a name notifications off is the name Sean um, this, will notifications off and the Kilburn tapestry will they they're going to have a little jaunt together at some point I believe is the plan Helen that they will be seen together yeah, in so, the future yeah so they'll they'll be definitely in the um, in the Paris exhibition and yeah. in we're yeah launching it in London during the summer as well. Yes, because after notifications off here, which is, will be unveiled as part of first fortnight right now, um, the plan is to tour the two. Is it off to the uh, cultural the the cultural cultural centre in Centre. In, in, Fran- in Paris? Yes, so that's when. So we're going to be the exhibition uh, is launched this Friday in the Cube in the Project Art mm. Centre, and for the duration of first fortnight festival from the sixth to the fifteenth of January. It'll be available to view there. Uh, we also have a talk this Saturday with Brenda and Helen talking about their process with Annie Fletcher, the director of IMA. So that'll be a really interesting conversation if people want to hear more about the process and how they work. But then we're delighted in First Fortnight that outside of the festival that this uh, tapestry will have a further life and a mm. bit of First Fortnight will travel with the Kilburn tapestry and they, they'll start off as twins and who knows who join them along the way. (laughs) (laughs) And there is something also that strikes me about tapestry and I guess this is part of, I presume is part of your thinking, Helen. You know, we often hear of that, um, the the, the 
the process of quilt making, particularly in America, mm. where groups of women or groups of any community would sit mm. around the table. And it really was about knitting a whole lot of people together. Yeah. I suppose tapestry does the same thing. Yeah, I think the people who, well, the 20 contributors, have, um, most of them have fed that we spoke to since were like, that really was really therapeutic. And mm. in fact, we, we so, so it is yeah, a bit like the quilt, it's like bringing all these people together, but it's a community piece of art. So actually, the bigger picture is that it will be, hopefully open up all this conversations and positivity and discussions and even maybe discussions that need to be had or you could imagine, I don't know, anyone could go down yeah. and look at it and hopefully they'll get something, take away something from it. But there's a lot on it. There's loads yeah. of details and there's also a panel that describes the 20 contributors and their little anecdotes and their stories. So we're not just, there's, there's stories about, there's lots of stories. There's bereavement, there's gender stories there's uh, loneliness there's bullying there's there's like there's stories yeah. but you know it's done in a in a in a sort of under under it's undercurrent if that makes there's sense there's a real it's, lightness of touch yeah in it. yeah mm. you don't have to you can dig as deep as you want basically yeah. and some of the stories are still untold and i think um, as time goes on, the conversation will continue and people will tell more. So yeah. some people said, I'm just giving you a snippet of my story, but then yeah. they want to talk about it you, again. if you do go in to look at it, turn your notifications off. <laughs> Follow the signs. <laughs> do what they say. Yeah, so that, that the tapestry called Notifications Off will be unveiled at the Project Arts Centre, the Cube Space, on Friday the 6th of January. 4.30pm is the plan there. It will remain on display there until the 14th of January. Uh, full details on projectartcentre.ie and indeed on firstfortnight.ie which will tell you not just about that but of course about everything happening uh, at First Fortnight and we'll be dealing with lots of the stuff I know over the coming nights and weeks as well here on Arena and if anything um, bothers you or has uh, cropped up for you if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in our conversation uh, this evening go to rte.ie forward slash helplines and that might set you off on a journey um, that could be very helpful at this time of year but do go in and have a look at the tapestry because that might be an even more enjoyable journey for yourself firstfortnight.ie Maria Helen thanks very much for coming in this evening thank you The lynching of the 14-year-old boy Emmett Till in 1955 was a crime that woke America at large up to the realities of the violence faced by African-Americans in the Jim Crow southern states. Emmett, from Chicago, was visiting cousins in Mississippi in August of that year when he was accused of offending a white woman, Carol Bryant. He was beaten, tortured and murdered by men, including Carol Bryant's husband, Roy. When Emmett's body was found, it was horrendously disfigured and unrecognisable. But his mother, Mamie, made the extraordinary decision to allow his body to be photographed and to have an open casket at his funeral which was attended by thousands of people the images of his body went around the world and caused global revulsion and horror those images were a catalyst for the civil rights movement inspiring the likes of Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr a new film simply called Till tells the story of Emmett and his mother Mamie it opens in cinemas this weekend starring Daniela Deadweiler as Mamie Till Mobley and her name is front and centre in speculative conversations about Oscar nominations which will be revealed later this month. Daniela Deadweiler recently spoke to Irina Sinead Egan about the film and her role as Mamie. First of all, let's hear a clip from the film. In this scene, Emmett, played by Jaden Hall, is packing to go on his holidays to Mississippi but his mother Mamie is advising Bo, as she calls him affectionately, on how to conduct himself while there. All right, now you're going to miss your train. Mm -hmm. Bo, 
when you get down oh, there. Oh, not again, Mama. I've already been to Mississippi. Only one time before, and you started a fight with another little boy. He was picking on me. You're in the right to stand up for yourself, but that's not what I'm talking about. <sighs> they have a different set of rules for Negroes down there. Are you listening? Yes. You have to be extra careful with white people. You can't risk looking at them the wrong way. I know. Oh. Be small down there. Danielle, how aware were you of the story of Emmett Till growing up? I mean, do American children learn about him and his mother in the course of their education? Yes. Well, it, I've learned, I learned about it very early in elementary school, but you get the the real black and white, simple information, right? It's like a blip uh, along the historical timeline. And so, you know, when, when I was coming into the film and preparing, reading her memoir, taking in all of the archival footage and the archival images and, and reading different theses and, and academic um, uh, works that were exploring the time, um, it was the utmost of a great awakening to the intimacy and the depth of what that experience really was for Mamie, for Emmett, for the, the milieu of Chicago and of uh, Mississippi at the time. So this, this film gave me a full deep dive into, um, the, into what the experience was for Mamie. Um, the relationship between mother and son is really beautiful and it's so heartbreaking to watch because, I mean, we know what's going to happen here. Um, how did you approach those scenes with Jalen Hall, who plays Emmett? He has such an innocence to him and in how he plays this role. He's, a, he's the sweetest young man. He's so charismatic and beautiful. Um, in the same way that I approach life in dealing with my own child, who is a 13-year-old young boy. Uh, Jalen was 14 at the time. Uh, of making the film, and his mother was on set. Ema is just as much a part of the production as 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 Jalen, and Jalen says himself that he his mother is his best friend. They have a it's really beautiful to see. They've been together. You know, every time I see him, I see her. You know, and so I think we both just pull from both of those things and being our full selves. And those 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 scenes with Jalen are about revealing the love, revealing the joy that surrounds that relationship. That's the legacy that is to be upheld, truly. And so we just approached it with that. That's my buddy. <laughs> Danielle, you could say that it was a real credit to Mamie, couldn't you? That when Emmett went to Mississippi, when he experienced the Jim Crow South, that the situation was utterly alien to him. I suppose that, that she had raised him not to be fearful. She did. She... It, it, it's, I think she gave him what she could, right? And and it's not like it's a complete and utter, you know, wash of of saying, oh, he's just now being exposed. There are experiences in Chicago, like what in the beginning she tries to to shield him from it a bit. And yet, I think he's not overwhelmed by it. He's just being what children are: innocent, free, flowing beautiful, um, full of life, abundant, right, possibilities. And that abundance isn't halted until you encounter racism, until you encounter uh, uh, this kind of, this colonialist, you know, legacy. And so she did what she could to, to, to protect him and give him 
the space to still be his self. It's the same conversations I have with my child. Um, uh, you want to admonish them about the potential uh, perils, but you don't want to, you know, mute their 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 voice to mute the quality of their energy. Um, and so she did that in having that conversation with him. But Emmett was always full. He was never half. Uh, and 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 that's, I mean, that's reflected in how he was when he was down there in those beautiful scenes when he's with his cousins and he's navigating the world of Mississippi. He's just being him, his full self. And, and that's the tragedy that, that black children, black people can't be them full selves, even to this day. You mentioned your own son. Um, was being a parent instrumental in your decision to accept this role? No, no, not entirely. Um, uh, he, he, my son was like inflected in various parts of the audition process. He was, uh, he actually did one of the scenes with me, the scene where she's warning him about going to uh, Mississippi yeah. beforehand. So my son aided me in, in doing that part of the audition. And then uh, I did a, a director's session with Chinoya after those first initial tapes. And he was in the, um, I was doing the workshop, I mean, the, the session on the funeral home scene. And I told him I was going to go and I was going to work on this, this session. So if you hear some noises, don't fret. And so he's outside of the room playing Fortnite or whatever he was doing at the time. And then here's Wells and it's like my sister came home and he's like, oh, mommy said she's just doing an audition. It's OK. You know, so he's a part of uh, he's a part of, has been a part of this time. Uh, leading up to getting the, the piece uh, in various ways, in really sweet, like peripheral, quiet ways. Uh, but more importantly, I took the role because I knew that, you know, I'd known it. It's just been a part of this kind of um, personal legacy of mine of growing up in Atlanta, and which is, you know, you know the, the birth of civil rights movement. Um, and I just found it to be a, a significant service that, you know, that I had to undertake. If it was coming to me and I attracted it, I had to, to, to do it with the full force that I possess. Danielle, there's an extraordinary scene in this film. I'm, I'm talking about the courtroom scene. The camera is on your face for, I think, 10 or 12 minutes. It's, it's very intense. Can you talk to me about how you prepared for that scene? Yeah, I prepared the same way I do any of the other scenes. It was a seven-page, it's a seven-page scene. Uh, I did not know that that was what Chinoya was doing. Uh, she had full intent to do eight or nine setups. There were multiple people in the room. There's the jury, there's the, the t attorneys, there's the judge, there's, you know, everybody. And she started with the close-up of me, and she said she saw it. She talked to our DP, uh, Bobby Bukowski. Whisper, 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 set some stuff up, make some technical shifts. And I think we did it in about six or seven takes. And then you go, you know, okay, you guys, we made a choice. We get to go home early. You let it go, <laughs> right? But at the end of the day, I treat everything like theater to a good degree. This is, um, that's my route. Uh, I wanted to be able to do it multiple, multiple times in case we did, I mean, not in case, if we did have multiple, um, perspectives uh, and camera angles from which to take. So that's that's the root of that for me. Um, it's just it's just honoring what was done. We knew that we had to continuously deal with the tension of riding the line 
of of being this respectable figure and having this very um, visceral, uh, flowing rage. Right, those things are riding parallel for her, and that's what that scene is. Uh, she just it just happened to come out in that that oneer that was um, that was beautiful and brilliant on uh, Chinoy's part. Before I let you go, Danielle, um, this murder happened 67 years ago. Why do you think it's taken so long for a film to be made about this story? You know what? It's taken this long because, I guess, fear and shame. Um, 1955 was the same year that Mamie was trying to get the film done. So it's been it's been that long, and then everyone else: Keith Beauchamp, Barbara Broccoli, Fred Zolo, uh, and, and and Michael Riley. All those people coming on, and and Whoopi Goldberg coming on, and trying to do that for twenty twenty years. You know, it's just <laughs> it's it's one of those things that people don't want to face, and here we are again, making sure people face it. And so finally, it's here. This is Mamie's. Um, Mamie's intent, her legacy, uh, and and what she committed herself to since that time, and it's 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 just remarkable to finally have it present in this cinematic um, experience. Did you caution your son how to conduct himself and behave himself while he was down here in Mississippi? Several times. Several times. Do tell us how. I will give you a literal description of what I told him: how coming down here, he would have to adapt himself to a different way of life. Be very careful about how he spoke and to whom he spoke, and to always remember to say yes, sir, and no, ma'am. I told him that if ever an incident should arise where there would be any trouble of any kind with white people, that if it got to the point where he needed to go down on his knees before them, well, I told him not to hesitate to do so. Like if he bumped into somebody on the street, and they might get belligerent or something. Well, I told him to go ahead and humble himself so as not to get into any trouble. But, but what? Well, I raised him with love for fourteen years. My sudden warnings about hate weren't going to get through. Danielle Deadweiler there as Mamie Till Mobley in that powerful courtroom scene from the new film Till. It opens in cinemas this weekend. We heard Danielle speaking to Sinead Egan and we will be reviewing Till on tomorrow night's arena. But that's our lot for this Wednesday evening. Amandine Passo-Devine researched. Michelle Gibson was the broadcast coordinator. Jamie Doyle was on sound tonight and the programme was produced by Ola McGann. Speak to you tomorrow night once again, 7 o'clock here on RT Radio 1. Ray Cuddy will be with you after the 8 o'clock news.